This episode is sponsored by Coastal Leather Supply, created by leather crafters for leather crafters, supplying premium leather, tools and all your other leather working needs. Specialise in vegetable tan leather such as Buttero, Pueblo and many others. They ship internationally and are trusted in the Australian and New Zealand leather working community. Visit coastalleathersupply.com.au Welcome back to another episode of the Joseph M. Leather Podcast. In this episode, I talk to Jason from Artisan Straps. Artisan Straps specialises in handmade leather watch straps. Based in Sydney, Australia, Artisan Straps offers customers with ready-to-wear, made-to-order, as well as full customised watch straps. Using an array of leathers, from premium Italian and French leathers, to shell cordovan, kangaroo, crocodile, alligator, and so much more. With over 205 five-star customer reviews, Artisan Straps also offers lifetime warranty on his watch straps. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's, I've seen your episodes a few times. I think we've, like the other leather crafters in Australia. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to all those other people. And So how did you get into leather craft? Um, so I, I actually started leather craft not through Levercraft, but through my love for watches. Yeah. Um, so I was a university student a few years ago. And I guess like um, as a university student, you don't really have much money. Uh, I was doing a part-time job at the local cafe. Um, so yeah, I couldn't buy expensive watches. I bought one big purchase, which was like a few thousand dollars for a dress watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I wanted to get more watches, but I kept being bored of the watch itself. Um, and I couldn't buy more because people have like big collections of watches. So, um, the way I went about it was to get new straps and that just transforms the look entirely. Um, so I did that. I bought a lot of straps from like overseas sellers, like on Etsy. Uh, I really appreciated like these independent artisans who made like one-off custom straps. And especially for me, because I have a small wrist size, uh, it's hard to find off the, like off the shelf straps that actually fit my watch. So I did that. I spent like a few hundred dollars each time on a strap. And I'm like, hang on a minute. I'm spending like $1,000, like $1,000 on straps each year. And I'm like, oh, I should just make my own. I gave that a go. It took me like two years and I didn't, I couldn't even make a single strap that looked good because for watch straps, you really need to focus on the details, like the stitching and the shape. It's very important for it to be symmetrical. And just doing that, I really struggled, but after just looking at YouTube videos, looking at other people's works, figuring out like slowly how to do things, it kind of all came together. Uh, I started selling straps to my my friends who liked watches. I knew like some guys from the watch community and I guess it took off from there. So when I first sold straps, it wasn't very, it wasn't very good in terms of the quality, but as you make more, you get more practice, you start to refine it a bit more. I guess that's how I eventually like developed my skills. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a very weird path to go because watch straps are very like intricate. They're yeah. very small, so the de- details do matter. Whereas like a lot of people start making like card holders where the cuts are just completely like square. Whereas like watch straps, you need to cut the shape to be like round at the tip. Uh, you got to fold it. You got to fold it evenly, so it's. So it looks symmetrical. Otherwise, when it sits on the watch, it's like a bit off balance. Yeah. I guess like that just doesn't look right. Um, So I guess that's why it took me over two years. Um, The way I started was I went on eBay. I I, I bought like a set of tools 
which is like a cheap, I think like knockoff from China. They're like forty dollars. You get you get a skiving knife. You get like those Japanese pricking irons.、Um, and then I went to like Bunnings to get some glue. And then I came to came down. I got like a cutting mat. Sat down. I、uh, started cutting. Traced a strap that I had.、Um, turned out horrible. Like my stitching. I used thread that was one millimeters for like three point. I think three millimeter spacing irons.、Oh, yeah. so、the, the stitching was just like super yeah. fat, yeah, and didn't look good at all. Yeah,、um, I started off with like one millimeter thick thread. Yeah, so then I did that, and then just looked completely horrible. I gave up a lot, so so I think when I first started my skiving knife, I never sharpened it for the first two years. So when I first started, it was very easy to use. I was like, oh yeah, it's very sharp to cut through leather. But then once After a few months, it got completely blunt. I didn't know that you needed to sharpen a knife,、um, so I I got very frustrated trying to skive down leather,、um, and I guess like just through like watching people's videos on YouTube that really helped me develop as well. Yeah,、um, yeah, it's interesting watch straps because I think when I made my one last year, I, I've only I've, I made I bought like a Citizen watch because I wanted a watch, and、um, just to. Take the strap off of it and then make like a custom-made strap. So I bought this Citizen、right. watch and、uh, it came with a like looked like an alligator crocodile-printed strap. Like it wasn't legit crocodile. And、uh, yeah, it was, it was very interesting how I noticed how how finicky they are and how much like the detail has to be like to a T. Like your stitching has to be like so symmetrical. Because like any little wrong stitch or anything, it will just it just shows up like so obvious. Whereas like you know, if you're making a huge product like a bag, if you miss like if you ruin like if you make a mistake on one stitch, it doesn't ruin the whole. Pro- it's not like an eyesore in the project. It's sort of like a yeah, that's right.、There. Yeah, so like the details are like very. There's a lot of things in consideration when you're stitching as well. So yeah. I think when I first started,、uh, the stitching distance from the edge was not consistent as well、mm. because I couldn't really line up my pricking irons to a line. And then the other consideration is having it like the stitching symmetrical on both sides of the strap. So like sometimes one is like in the middle of the other, so it doesn't like line up properly. Oh yeah,、so、yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to get it to be like mirror on both sides of the strap. Do you start from the the top of the strap and then work your way back? I actually start from the tip of the strap, so、okay. I think it's it's easier to get a like at the tip of the strap. It's easier to get it to be nicer when you start from the tip. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you start from the top, once you get to the tip, you find that you might be like half half a hole, and then you would have to use like a very like in between smaller dense stitch,、mm-hmm. which doesn't look as good. Whereas、yeah. if you start from the tip, you can get it to be like pretty mirrored,、uh, perfect, or、yeah. like every single time. Do you, do you do a round hole? So I started off doing a round hole, but then I now I do a vertical hole.、Um, I don't think it makes a difference. Yeah. It it's just easier. It doesn't look any different. Yeah, yeah. Because I just use the two prong pricking iron and I just prick it、um, the first one. Yeah. And then it works fine. So、um, yeah, so I don't think it matters if you use a round hole. Most people do use a round hole,、mm-hmm. but、uh, yeah, I don't find it to. Make much difference. Yeah, I I definitely like the the padding, the the raised straps. Like the one I got is a is a raised strap. And, yeah.、Uh, so so when you started, was the Apple Watch out? Yeah, the what Apple Watch is.、Uh, I think it came out like 
long time before. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so I do like some straps for the Apple Watch, but I think the majority of my customer base is more those like fine, high-end luxury watches. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. people are, I guess, more willing to spend as well. Um, they're more willing to spend on personalized custom straps where they can get it to fit your wrist size. Yeah. Um, that's one of like the biggest considerations people put into buying a strap. Obviously, the quality as well, but it's hard to find like a strap that fits you perfectly. Yeah. So I guess the product that I'm offering hits that target market. Yeah, and that was the thing as well that I found with watch straps was like with a belt, it's pretty easy to find your size. Whereas like with a watch strap, like, how do you know what, like is there a measurement you can do on your wrist to be able to find? Yeah, so for watch straps, yeah, for watch straps, there are two sizes that you need to like consider. So the first one is where it connects with the watch itself. Um, and that that one's pretty easy to measure You're just using like a ruler or a caliper. The other one is your wrist size. So the way that I get my customers to measure their wrist size is to use a piece of string or a piece of paper. And I have a size guide on my website that I use that works 99% of the time. And they use that just to get a rough guide of the strap they need. The other way that I get my customers to do, um, to get the right size is to use their current strap and they can either like, they wear it on their wrist and they can see how, like if the tongue sticks out too much, you can subtract uh, length from it. Or if you find it too short, you can add length and that usually works as well. Okay. Cause uh, how much should, should the taper go? Because I got, I got a watch strap and cause I was unsure of, of tapering others. How much taper should you have? I think it really depends on the watch itself. Sometimes the thicker watches um, don't need to taper as much. So 20 millimeters to maybe 18 millimeters. Um, having a bigger taper usually makes it more dressy. So like those dress watches, if you want like to wear it for, for more attire, having a bigger taper from 20 millimeters to 16 millimeters, for example, is good to make it a lot more dressy as it's not too thick. Yeah. So it just depends on the watch itself. Uh, if you want it to be more dressy or if you want it to be more casual, then just looking at the taper uh, makes it look a lot more uh, different, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What's the maximum thickness of a watch strap you should aim for? Like a three millimeter is is a good thickness? Yeah, I think in terms of the thickness, because I do customize the thickness, the thickness uh, really depends on the customer's watch. But I think the main consideration is the thickness of the leather around the spring bar hole where it connects. If you have it too thick, you can't you can't actually connect it on the watch. Otherwise, otherwise it just presses against the watch. Yeah, yeah. So it's from like from the part where it connects to the watch, being able to match that to the watch is uh, important. So I've had like some customers have like really really thick watches. They're literally like a slab, and then so you need to make the strap like taper in thickness from maybe like four to five millimeters to two millimeters at the buckle. Yeah. So it, it's, it really depends on the watch, but mm-hmm. um, usually the watch straps I make are around like three millimeters in thickness and yeah. they taper to two millimeters just because it makes it a lot softer and then you can, uh, it's it's a lot easier to put it on and off. Yeah. It, so do your customers send you their watch to make the strap or do you just make the strap? No, I just I just uh, make the strap. They usually send a photo of the watch or yeah. they just order directly off my website. Yeah. But usually they just uh, 
if they need some help, I offer like a customized service where they can reach out to me. Um, they can ask me like what options are available um, if they need help measuring, for example. So then I try to like give them information or advice and guide them to the correct option, which I think is like, I think they value that as yeah. well. I'll, I'll, ask you, I'll actually ask you on what straps because I'm not really like the watch area. I'm not like an expert. <laughs> like that's yeah. one thing I... I so so what's like a, a a pretty good watch to like if you wanted to start off in in watches because i've got like a citizen watch which is like a gold watch but i'd like to get like a silver watch because and yeah like put up like a black band with it what's like a like an entry level watch yeah, that's, or, or that's even, like quite respectable i guess or even like a yeah like a like, what's, like, a Buttero watch? If that, Like, put it in leather terms. Like, what's, like, a Buttero watch? What's, like, a Shell yeah. Cordovan watch? Like, what's a... I, I think um, if you're starting out, like, entry level, Citizen is definitely, like, a really good brand. Uh, I think they they were Japanese, but I think they got acquired by, like, a Swiss company. But, so I think Seiko is Japanese. Okay, they make yeah. They make very, like, cheap budget watches that are automatic in movement, so, which means they don't need a battery to run. So you can just like shake your wrist and the the, the watch will power up. So okay. as long as you yeah. wear the watch, you'll never have to um, worry about the battery running out. So I think Seiko is the equivalent of like a Batero kind of leather. It's a, it's a good entry level. It's quite well respected. It's been around for like many, many years. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, I think like people really like Daniel Wellington, but it's very like very cheap and the movement inside is like cheap two dollar chinese um like movement it's just it's completely horrible it's just yeah. marketing um so a lot of people you see just have daniel wellingtons but they're not they're not good it's just people like the very minimalist look and there are, there are a lot of options like even from seiko if you want to move up a bit from the Botero to move into I guess something more expensive. Yeah. You can look into some like more entry level brands such as um let's say maybe like long jeans, for example, they have a f- this starts to be in like a thousand dollars or so. And then maybe Seiko also does watches in that price range now. And I think those these brands are more like respectable in terms of um having more history and also the movements they they use are actually quite good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think just in general, if you wanted to get a first watch and you want something that's good, the things to look for are an automatic movement. Um, that's that means like it's it's mechanical. You're not using a battery, and then I think that's the main consideration. Yeah. And then just finding something that you really like in terms of its looks is important. Um, if you want to go up even like even further up to like a few thousand dollars, I recommend the Omega Speedmaster. I didn't even know they had a. a, a um automatic what so what when you move it it yeah so works yeah so looking at the automatic watches or so my one's mechanical um so you can see the back of the watch it has you can see the movement and there's no battery and the way it works is that as you um as you move there's a rotor that spins around yeah and then that powers the watch itself so you can just yeah. Yes. So it's it's like you it's purely mechanical and then people assemble these like movements by hand. So then I find I think it's kinda like 
saddle stitching, for example. Yeah. It's like done by hand, which is um, which I quite like. I think the the watches that start in the few hundred dollars with a mechanical movement, they're machine assembled, but they're still very like robust and they last you like many many years. You don't have to worry about um, like battery running out. Yeah. Uh, so what's the watch strap that you have? The the watch that you just had that you showed? The watch strap? I mean I mean the sorry, the, the watch. So the watch here is a grand Seiko. So it's Seiko but they're <laughs> high end line. Yeah, okay, um, I see thing I have no idea when it comes to like you could show me like three watches and it's like yeah, they're all... Yeah, so I've actually got the <laughs> Omega Speedmaster here. Yeah, so it's a chronograph which means it can tell the time. You can it's basically a stopwatch. Yeah. And yeah, so it's a mechanical, which means it doesn't need to use a battery. And when you look around at the back, you can see all the movements, yeah. the pieces. And then the finishing on these, the back is also something. It's it's also like an art of its own. Yeah. So so like very high end watches are all mechanical. Like I, th- I think like ninety five percent of them are mechanical. There yeah. are a few. Like quartz, so quartz is is what they call using like a battery. Yeah, my ones are quartz. Yeah, so then that's the name. But then, yeah, there are a few quartz ones which are like really, really thin. Mm-hmm. Because with mechanical ones, they're a bit thicker because they need to like encompass all these like parts, moving parts. So it does make the watch a little thicker. Yeah. But it does add substance to the watch, so it feels more luxurious, I guess. So if you have the watch just like on a... St- on one of those stands or something in that those protective covers that you sell over yeah. time will that just slow down and stop if it's a mechanical yeah so then mechanical <clears throat> watches generally have a battery life between maybe like 40 to 80 hours yeah. so it only lasts you maybe one and a half days to three days so you would have to keep wearing it to be able to like power it up uh, so that's the that's the thing that's annoying about mechanical watches. If you have like a lot of watches and you can't wear them or um, to keep them charged, you would have to set the time again. Yeah. So every time you wear it, you would have to set the time, which is a bit annoying. And I think with the pandemic, I don't really go out as much. Uh, all my watches now, they just sit in the watch rolls and basically I have to set the time and then all the times are literally set at uh, 10.10, which makes it a little symmetrical. Yeah. Uh, it makes the watch look nicer when it's symmetrical. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, um, like, how do you go in summer with a watch strap? Because I noticed that when I was wearing my, like, it feels, it feels weird to have, like, a leather band in summer. Yeah. So, I think in summer, because you sweat a lot, people prefer to use bracelets. Yeah. Uh, the other alternative is to line the leather straps using rubber at the back. Mm-hmm. And it also, I guess, prevents it from like staining, which is good. The leather we use at the back on our normal straps is actually a French calfskin leather. It's called Zermatt, which makes it very water resistant. Uh, so, a lot of watch, like cheaper watch straps, the back is like a micro suede or a calfskin that just absorbs the water. Oh, okay, and yeah. Then, and then you get like sweat stains where it turns like black or very dark, and then it just smells horrible yeah. whereas with this it's very water resistant which makes it like i guess it makes it quite good yeah so you, you don't have those um stains and like every few weeks you can just wipe it off if you do like sweat a lot yeah yeah because I, I i line mine with kangaroo like blue kangaroo yeah 
Yeah, that was my lining because it was thin. How, how did it go? Did it, uh... Yeah, in summer, I, 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 I just had to take it off. Like, it was just too irritating on my wrist. Yeah. I, yeah. I think kangaroo... I do use kangaroo. It's a bit... Was it vegetan, your kangaroo? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so the vegetan kangaroos tend to absorb the water. Yeah. The sweat. Which I think, like, over time, it does get a, quite annoying to wear because it just slides, like, slides around on your wrist as well. And then yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, so, so with a well-fitted watch strap, it, it, it won't slide up and down. It will just stay in the one spot. Oh, I guess, like, depends on, like, the yeah. the size. Like, if you get a perfect fit using, yeah. like, the holes, um, it should be good. Even in, like, summer, your wrist does, like, expand and, like, shrink a bit. So then the way that we overcome that is to have the holes of the watch strap that you punch where you put the buckle in. You have those sit a little closer to each other so you don't have like the problem where you're in between the holes yeah so yeah you either have it too loose or too tight um, yeah i made mine yeah. with um that russian leather russian calf yeah that's my one and that's patinaed quite well actually is this the one from uh bakers yeah yeah oh. it's good because yeah. you, you only have to use like a little like a little strips it's not yeah. like a, it's not like a lot wallet where it's like use or like a bag where you use like a whole I just had some, and I was like, oh, I'll make a watch strap with this. And Yeah, the yield on the yield is really great. So I've had a lot of people just in the Levercraft community, they message me asking me if I had any, like, scraps I can sell. Uh, but I don't really have scraps because with watch straps, you only use, like, a very small amount of leather from the, from the hide. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm pretty much able to turn any, like, scrap that I have into watch straps. So yeah. I don't really have scraps. Yeah, I... I, I um. I want to use some of my, like, the belt blanks that, like, because you make a belt or whatever, but you have, you know, the belt will be, like, a certain size, and you have, like, you know, you might have 30 centimetres or 10 centimetres just extra just sitting there, and I don't have a bench splitter, but it'd be nice to be able to split them down and use those for watch straps. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, because there's, there's so much, you know, it's... it's Bridle leather, but when you split it down, you can still make really nice straps with bridle leather. Yeah, and even if it's like, I think um, when you split it down to be quite thin, it might be a bit stretchy. So you can just reinforce it using like yeah. um, salamander, like bonded leather, just in between the layers, yeah. just to add some like structure to it, which I think um, is important for durability in the long term. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Do you reinforce your watch straps? Yeah, we do. So we use a... It's actually a synthetic. Uh, it actually depends on the the watch strap itself. Sometimes we use bonded leather, which is um, just like veg tan scraps, and they like bond it together to be quite firm. And yeah. that's that's used in between to actually reinforce the strap to prevent any stretching. Because a lot of the times when customers wear their watch straps, over time from like taking the watch strap on and off, it tends to stretch a bit. So just to prevent the stretching. We also yeah. use Velodon, which is a synthetic, like, anti-stretch. I wouldn't call it a paper. It's a synthetic material that is used by Hermes, and they use it to prevent um, stretching on their straps. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be quite... It's quite good if you want to keep the strap to be thin. Yeah. But the issue with using Velodon is that it's very, very hard to glue on. Yeah. And I guess, like, I think one of the most important things is being able to glue it properly. Yeah. Uh, and that, that leads on to like edge finishing as well, which is like one of the important parts. Yeah, exactly. It, does the bonded leather have to be thick? Sorry, what was that? Does the bonded like the bonded leather have to be thick? 
No, it's actually only 0.3 millimeters thick, yeah, so wow. it's very, very thin. Yeah. But then it adds a lot of structure to it. Yeah, I guess like what what's one of the thing? What what's one thing that surprised you about leathercraft? I guess like I imagined it to be a lot easier because when you watch videos yeah. of people doing it, you're like, yeah, I can do this easily. But then it takes a lot of time to refine your skills to the point where you can actually get the details to be like very well done. So yeah. when I first started, I started off by watching like YouTube videos of, I think, Han Atelier, which is, yeah. I think he's Korean. And then he makes uh, wallets and stuff. And looking at his videos, it looked like it was very, very easy to do. It's like he makes it like every process, every step is just like you, you cut it. Um, like cutting seems like a very easy thing to do. But then when you actually do it, it's actually very hard in cutting like straight lines for example everything just like moves around it's very hard to get it to be perfect yeah. so just like i well, actually imagined it to be a lot easier and i guess that's why i was really frustrated with myself for the first maybe two years mm -hmm. just being unable to like produce something that i'm happy with yeah whereas like it just they just make it seem so easy i guess yeah it's um and also like your if your your ruler leaves marks on the leather and it's just yeah, like when I first started, I would accidentally like I would one of the things that I found to be the hardest was edge creasing. So I bought one of those oh, yeah. like heated edge edge creasing machines. Um I completely finished the strap. I pieced it together. The strap was completely symmetrical and it was time to edge crease it, which is next to the stitching. So as I I was doing a straight line, I didn't realize the, the crease had like I guess come off the the edge, and I oh. guess I just like creased it to the side, and yeah. then it just left a mark. And I'm like, oh, it's such a beautiful strap. But then I had to like, I couldn't sell it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then so there was a lot of wastage when I first started. Um, it's just like these things, you just like scratch it or any like small mark or anything, something like any mistake you accidentally punch. You line up your pricking iron, and then as you punch it, you, you take it off, and you're like, "Wait, it's not even where I lined it." Yeah, so yeah. it's like completely off. Yeah, yeah. With with to avoid that, I like to go to to because you know when you when you use the pricking iron, you usually go from like the last hole. Yeah. Sometimes I go from like the second to last hole, so because it, it stops. I, I usually do second to last or yeah. third to last. Yeah, because um, the keeps... only time I use first like the overlap by one is when i'm turning like a corner or yeah yeah it's not a straight line yeah because it's so easy to like move it on the side yeah. and it's just yeah it's uh so so what are some crafters you're inspired by um for watch straps in particular there's a lot of like independent watch strap makers in like indonesia so like Heimer leathers they do a lot of like very interesting ones where they dye their own leathers and then i think like just looking at their work it's very refined yeah so that's one of them there's in indonesia there's also archan leather he does like very nice work as well um just overall in terms of like more general leather work i think in japan in niwa leathers his one his works looks really nice like not all his stuff is hand stitch i think he does machine stitch a lot of the stuff but then like the work just the overall look of his like stuff it's like a it's not completely like fine level of crafting it's a mixture of like rugged and like luxury yeah so i think i really like that look where it's like not too 
refined, but also the details are there. Um, and also in like Singapore, there's quite a few good level crafters, such as like 74. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah. So he does like really not nice and refined like watch traps for very like high end watches. So mm-hmm. he does like watches that are a few like hundreds of thousand of dollars. Like being able to do stuff for the clientele there is quite interesting. Yeah, have you noticed? Think... Sorry, go on. Uh, uh, I think it's because the Singapore watch market is very big. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like expats there, which means like people from overseas go there to work. And yeah. they're all like pretty rich. The tax there is a lot lower. He's able to do watches like straps for those watches because those clientele are like quite, I guess, well off. Yeah. Is it like the the more expensive the watch gets, the more exotic the watch strap is? Is that I I wouldn't say that. I think uh, with high end watches, people tend to go for alligator or crocodile as it's considered like the most luxurious leather around or available. So I guess people tend to just go for exotics, but I think with high-end watches, some of them are more like intricate and the detail, I think it's not just the details itself, but also the fact that they're, they have like weird shapes. So some, some watch watches, like I have a Ming here, it's called Ming. Um, I'll take the watch off, the watch strap off, but you can see how the leather at the top is curved. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so doing those for, like, a lot of those high-end watches have those curved uh, ends. Mm-hmm. And that makes it a lot harder to make as well. But, um, yeah, so these, like, high-end watches tend to have, like, features such as this. So that's not that's not a, a buckle end? Sorry? Is that a buckle end? Is there, is there a, a, a buckle? Like a... Uh, it's where it connects to the watch. Oh, where it, oh, where it connects. See how, like... Oh, yeah, that's... Okay. So the way the way they do like the reason why they do this is that it gives an integrated look with the watch. Yeah. So it looks like it comes out of the watch. Whereas like for my other watch here, you can see how it's just straight ended. Yeah, yeah. You can see there's there's small gaps here. Yeah. Uh so they just there's just like small details like this that make it like look more, I guess, luxurious or high end. And yeah. people tend to appreciate that. Yeah. That's cool. So you'd have had to make like an angle and then fold the leather yeah. around yeah it's a lot harder to make because i have a i have a metal rod which is like curved to the curvature i want and then it's basically like bending the leather and sticking it down so it matches the curvature of the rod yeah and there's no make sure there's no creases as well it doesn't tend to crease in that way because you're bending the crease would be at the back of the strap and yeah. that's not too significant because you're not seeing it on the wrist but just being able to bend it without wet molding, because I think if you are able to wet mold, it's a lot easier to just like bend the leather. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this was like quite challenging to do yeah. at first, but then as you practice, it just gets better. Yeah, I think even then now, like when you buy like straps from like high end manufacturers, their their straps the curve isn't even that even, so it's it just shows how hard it is to actually make these straps. Yeah, it has to be quite thin to get around yeah i think yeah. around like one millimeters or just just under one millimeters is ideal oh, that's actually pretty good that's not like point i'm glad like 0.5 mil i was thinking <laughs> that's good. yeah 0.5 mil just makes it too thin yeah that's it, what i was thinking yeah it would just be too soft i think so how did you transition into exotic skins because i've the only exotic skin i've used would be kangaroo if that's counted as one 
Yeah, I think kangaroo is exotic to everyone else. Yeah, I was thinking that. Not yeah. Australians. Because Yeah. we have kangaroo, like, everywhere. Well, Yeah. I guess, like, we have a lot of kangaroos, but we don't see them in, like... You don't see kangaroos, but we do have a lot of them. Um, so, exotic skins... Like, a lot of people with watches, they do come with, like, alligator or crocodile straps when you buy the watch, especially when it's more high-end. And that'll So, be I had a lot that'll of... be hand stitched, high end. No, surprisingly, all the luxurious, like, luxurious brands, the high-end brands, none of their straps are hand-stitched. They're all machine-stitched. So how do they get the? Because they don't stitch through the keeper, so they have like two separate stitches. Yeah, so the way it's... it's just, The stitching goes to the keeper, Ah, and oh, then okay, they, yeah, yeah, they stop. The other thing is, they can just stop where the keeper is, and they hand-stitch the rest. yeah, So then you can hand-stitch through the keeper. yeah. Um, but yeah, anyways, the way I got into exotics was I had a lot of customers come in to ask me like, oh yeah, do you do alligator? Do you do crocodile? Like, I love your car leather straps, but then I just want something more like high-end, something that feels like more dressy because alligator usually is associated with being like more dressy, more formal. Um, so yeah, it was a bit hard at first to get crocodile or alligator. So the first time that I got alligator was through a supplier in Hong Kong um, and I made a really big mistake because I didn't know how to import skins at the time so from Hong Kong you needed a re-export permit for the alligator because the alligator comes from America and goes to Hong Yeah. um, so to get it to Australia you need a re-export permit but you also need an import permit to be applied in Australia and I didn't know that at all so the supplier told me that yeah I can do the re-export permit for you it costs $70 and then yeah it will be good to send so he sent it uh, he did that he sent me two skins which I paid around like $1,300 for Whoa. yeah so he he sent that to um, yeah he sent it to me I didn't know that we had to apply for a uh, import permit and then so when it got to customs they're like oh yeah do you have an import permit and I'm like oh, what's an import permit so then I went on to the website try to apply for one but then they're like you can't apply for one retrospectively so you can apply for it before Yeah. it comes you need it to be granted before it um, arrives Oh, yeah. um, so yeah they seized the skins and they destroyed it so Re oh, what? I was like can Wow. you re re can you return the skins to the center they're like no we can't um, Wow. if they're seized they have to be um, they have to be destroyed so then Whoa. I lost like $1,200 or so when I first started Yeah. um, I learned my mistake then but yeah it just takes it takes a lot of time for the permits to actually process I think in Australia Yeah. it takes around like one to two months Yeah, wow. so yeah Because, yeah, I was, was going to ask you that. Do you need to have permits to get exotics? I know you have to get, like, permits to get specific exotics in, but, yeah, with with alligator and uh, crocodile and ostrich, lizard, you see it all need permits for those. Uh, lizard, yes. Ostrich. Hmm. Ostrich, for some do, but then in South Africa, because they're very well-maintained and it's sustainable, Yeah. they don't need a permit for ostrich. So, so what's the reason behind the permit? I guess it's that it's from a sustainable source, because if you want to be able to get a permit, you need to prove that it's... You need to have the... I think you need the re-export permit as a copy as well, and the re-export re permit shows that it's been... Um, exported like legally Yes, yeah, and okay. when you do all these like paperwork there's like a paper trail I guess just to trace like where the skins come from 
um, that it's been like sustainably farmed and not like hunted from the wild. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Wow. Did you get the Russian hide or the oak bark tan? The oak one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is it? I can't remember. It's... Yeah. Okay. Because I know like... like the the Russian hide. That's like forty dollars a square foot, and that's pretty. Yeah, the, the, it's very expensive. It's the one of the hatch grain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The Russian Russian calf. Yeah. So that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. very expensive, yeah, that's and the only dollars. reason why they charge a premium is because it's apparently like a replica of the. Yeah. leather that was found and they're able to like reproduce it yeah but uh i, I heard it's like beautiful stuff yeah it, it is it's, the smell is is very very distinct because they use like birch oil in the right i think that's what, what the russians used back in the day and you get that real birch oil smell but it, it takes a while to patina actually like it's a very slow patina um, right but it, it, yes yeah, what it, it um rich is really nice so what um, what colors did you get? Did you just get the? I got the. I think it was it was black and then. The, oh, you got the like, black. And then it was like a reddish brown, like yeah. mahogany color. Yeah. I think just those two, because those are going to be like I guess popular. Yeah, I I got some of the I got the, the brown the yeah the reddish and um, I got a sample of the black. So I got like yeah. a little square, like that big, and I was like, I want to make a watch strap out of it, because <laughs> it's probably enough yeah. just to make, like, just to make the the top. But um, yeah, it's uh, yes, it's a really, it's a really nice leather. It burnishes pretty well as well, so you can burnish it. It's veg tan, right? It's or like a uh, like an oak, oak bark tan. They use like three different, three different. Uh, three different mixtures of tannings, I think. So I'm not sure if they use like an oak, something else, or something else. It's like three. And um, okay, yeah, but yeah, it is very expensive. Yeah, it's like, especially like getting into Australia. Um, but yeah, it's just like almost like double or even triple the price of like some other leathers you can get. Yeah, I know. And everyone, everyone says it's like I've had a few customers that are like, oh yeah, can you do this? Um, this hatch grain like Russian calf. Mm. So then, I was like, "Yeah, I might as well get it." So yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting it soon. So are you getting full heights? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because like back in, I think I going back last year, I wanted some for my birthday, and um, <laughs> so that was like one of my, my birthday presents. I wanted some of it, and you could actually buy it by the square foot. You can get it from like I think RM will sorry RM Leather Supply stock it now. Yeah. But you can but only then get, it's you get you can you can only get half and full hide. No, no, they do panels as well. Oh, do they? But then they always sell out now. But the panels yeah. are so expensive; they're like sixty dollars or something. Yeah, sixty dollars. Because um, yeah, from the tannery you could actually buy it per square foot. And I remember I bought like I think four square foot. And then I think they've changed it where you have to buy like a a certain amount. Like oh okay, I'm not sure if you can buy square footage anymore. Yeah, and that's the, I think that's the reason why I like splitting because it also lowers the shipping cost to Australia. It's not as heavy. Where do you, where do you get it split? Oh, they have like a there's a guy in the UK that I know. So I think um I think the supplier was like A and A Crack or something. Oh I, yeah, A Crack. They they know a guy who can split, but they charge a bit of money. Yeah. But I think it's worth it getting split because the shipping cost here is a lot cheaper to get it like after splitting. Yeah. So it's it's worth it and it makes it easier for you to work with. Mm-hmm. The grooves very deep for the Russian calf. 
Not really. Because I imagine, like, the only challenge for splitting it would be if the grooves are very deep and it's very yeah. hard to get an even, like, splitting. They're not that deep. Like, if you were hand-stitching it, you wouldn't... You wouldn't... The stitch wouldn't, like, fall into one of the things. It's, okay, yeah, um, it's not too deep then. Yeah. I know, like, some skins, like shark skin, for example, they're very... The grooves are very, very deep. Yeah. So they're, like, like 0.5 millimeters deep. And then the stitching just, like, sinks in. What's the uh? What's the deal with stingray sting skin? Like, is that like literally yeah, the worst, the worst of ever I can find? Like, you can't. I when I first got stingray, I thought you can skive it. I had my like skiving knife, Japanese skiving knife. That's like hundred fifty dollars. I skived it and I literally chipped the knife. And then I was yeah, like, we... I spent like I spent like two hours like grinding the the knife just to get the yeah. bevel back. Um, yeah, so I just like refuse to work with Stingray now. So I think uh, some even... people have told me they use disposable knives. So, so you can't even use pricking irons? You can, but then you risk the pricking irons getting damaged. Like, is it just like, is it like hitting into a stone or something? Like, the skin it's is... Like, it's like a bone. It's like calcium deposits, yeah, basically. Okay. So it's like a bone. The skin is a bone. Um... Yeah, so it's horrible to work with, and then like you literally don't stitch it, or you only do those like notches at the top just to keep it secure. But yeah, it's yeah. absolutely horrible to work yeah. with. Like when I, I didn't know, and then like the knife, when you, the knife's expensive, and then like just taking away so much of the mm. like the lifespan of the knife. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, it was horrible. That's, that's interesting. Wow. Um. Yeah, it's a. Uh... Yeah, interesting. Have you well, worked with it before? No, or? I haven't. So how would they tan that? Honestly, I have no idea. Yeah. It's... Interesting. I guess it's like dyeing the leather. Yeah. Because it's like literally a bone. Mm-hmm. So, so going back to that Russian leather, so did you did you buy full hides? Like two full hides? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's actually still on the way, so I haven't yeah. um, had interested. a chance to... Let me know how, how big they are, because... Um, because I've never seen what it looks like in a full hide. Like, I've only bought, like, half a hide or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. I like. It would be good to make a bag out of it. I'm not sure how well it would go turned inside out, but, like, a bag that doesn't need to be turned inside out. But Maybe, like, a briefcase. Because yeah. the Russian calf, it's quite firm, right? Yeah, it is, actually. It's not like, yeah, it's not like a buttero firm, but it's not like a supple Essex firm. Um, yeah, maybe like a briefcase or something would be really nice. Yeah, I've, I've seen um, Nichols in London. The yeah, he, he's he's done a he's done one with Russian calf, I think. He he did one um, out of reindeer that uh, AA, AA crack seller. Oh, that, yes, I, that I also bird. saw that, and I wasn't sure what the difference. I mean, the difference is that one's reindeer, one's calf, but that looked just as good. Yeah, I think that's from another tannery, separate in Europe. But uh, yeah, Nichols, he does some really nice bags. He does. He does. He, um... Yeah, his his work is nice. Yeah, so like he's. I think some of his stuff is hand stitched. Like, but a lot of it is machine stitched. And uh, I think it's just going back to what we were saying before the podcast about how like it's conscious of being like being conscious of time as well. Yeah. 
because if you were to hand stitch that bag, there's no way it would be worthwhile for him. Yeah, well, that was my problem because I, I wanted to do everything like everything hand stitched. Then when I made that duffel bag, I did that by hand, and it, it probably would have made it quicker if I had like a bigger pony. Like I just yeah. got like a little stitching pony, and that that took an insane amount of time. And um, so one of the reasons why I bought the machine, but yeah, it's, it's going back to that like. <clears throat> How many people would care if it was hand-stitched? Like, out of the whole product, is the stitching the main component of that product? Um, it's different for a watch strap, because like, a watch strap looks nice hand-stitched, but it's like... Yeah. But a, a hand-stitched bag is beautiful. Like, my duffel bag, like, it's... The, the fact that it's hand-stitched, is like, that looks really nice. But, like, <clears throat> I have another bag that I machine-stitched, and it still looks nice. It's kind of like the... The clientele, I guess, you're selling to, like if they want, if they really want that. Yeah, you just got to charge for your time, I guess, yeah. for hand stitching, because it's a lot faster to machine <clears throat> stitch it. Mm. And as long as like your machine stitching can be very like the tensions even. Um, oh, the like, tensions. All, <laughs> okay. and, like spacing is all oh. even, then I think it should be all good. Like it's, it's machine stitching is an art in itself. It's very hard to do as well. Yeah, like, to do well. Yeah, that that's one thing I actually uh, I figured out only re like recently because yeah it is because um, I I make it like making a bag and it's it's a canvas lining yeah and because like the 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 tension is like I got the tension I made like as good as I can get it like the you can't see the knot either end like it's, it's in the in the middle anyway then I went to using like stitching through canvas and because like the canvas is a lot more thinner. The stitching started to pop through the top of the th the thread um on the thread. So when I was stitching, it, and it's like, you know, you think that it's like just put it through, but yeah, it's, it's all these like little things. Make sure the tension's right. Make sure like the um yeah, it's uh, very interesting. But uh, yeah, I set my space length the exact same as my hand stitch. So I, I space I stitch like nine spaces per inch. So I just set the machine to that as well because like right. that's what I. I like. Yeah. I, I like a lot of, I've seen a lot of like machine stitch stuff. That's really nice as well. Mm. So like it's, I think like the ordinary customer, they wouldn't mind. Like there's very, it's a very niche market. If you want like a hand stitched bag or yeah. I think watch strap hand stitched, it doesn't take too long. Cause it's, it's only like, I don't know, maybe like hundred stitches. So it's only, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's not it's not too much compared to like bags obviously. That's why you don't see too many hand stitched bags. Yeah. And then like it wouldn't the appeal if you're charging like a few thousand dollars, you're not it's very hard to sell unless like it's very like the market's too niche, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You One don't have I... a Bell Skyver, right? No, I don't. My I use my friends. Oh. <laughs> you have a friend. <laughs> go, like go you have a his... friend who does Levercraft. Yeah. It, well, I do appreciate it because it makes a, like it makes a huge difference for like piping and like yeah he's he, and I say to him like if you ever need to come around and use my cylinder arm you're more than welcome so oh. <laughs> just uh, does does he also do leather work or yeah he, he does just... G gully leather yeah because I'm I'm thinking of getting a bell skyver mm. I just don't know which one at the moment yeah like, I don't I can obviously get a nippy or like a fortuna but then 
so expensive and like the shipping cost is insane it's like a yeah. few thousand dollars you can get two different types of bell sky but like you can get like a, a single roller or a double roller so like double rollers like for like thicker leather like for like bridal leather because you have like a single roller to like if it's like you know for everything that you and i would do we'd probably just use a single roller whereas like you can get like a double i don't know how a double roller works um but where i got my sewing machine i got mine and I asked them if they do bell skivers. And apparently they do. Uh, they do like a nice little package. But I think it's... Don't quote me on it. I think it's like $2,000 or something. Yeah, I which, think... You, which I, I... I don't think you're going to get a cheap bell skiver. Yeah, they're all looking to be around like $2,000 for yeah. the 802. Like the equivalent of a... The replica. Yeah. So I think like Leffler, because I contacted um, this company called Landis International. They sell bell skivers, yeah. but they're actually run by Leffler's Leather yeah. in Melbourne. Um, so they contacted me and then the quote for it is around like $2,000 mm-hmm. and then plus shipping plus GST, which comes with like $3,000. Oh yeah, don't you love when they add this? Like, oh, it's just like, it's just before GST. Like, and it's like... It, it's fine for me because I have to like pay GST back because I collect GST to my for my customers, so it's okay for me as well. Because I have to pay it back anyways. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's not. A, it's a. It's a big investment as well. Yeah. It's it's hard to like learn about it because there's not too much information on it. Did you say the eight hundred one? Uh, I want the eight hundred two because okay. I think um, yeah, the eight hundred one's a cheaper model, the older version. Yeah. The eight hundred two. 802, I think some brands have like um, like three-speed motors as well. Yeah. Um, so you're just learning about it. It's a lot of like a lot of information to take in as well. Yeah. See, with Bell Skivers, I'm just, I just... What is an 801? Like, what is an 80? It's like, it's, it's all... Yeah, it's you, gotta, you have to actually research it to yeah. be able to, um, to actually know what you're looking yeah. for. And I'm quite picky as well. So yeah. it's going to take me some time to like settle on one. It was the same with the, like, when I was looking at my sewing machine, like, when I was, it was just, like, where do I start, like, you know, you want a sewing machine, and it's like, well, what, which one, and uh, it took so much research, and, um, yeah, and then I'm, I'm quite happy to, with the one I got. got the... Which one did you get? I was Cow... looking at sewing machines. Yeah, Cowboy CB6900. I have no idea, but I assume it's like cylinder. cowboy. It's, it's, a, it's a cylinder arm, but it, it's good because it comes with a flatbed. Like it's a, only a little flatbed. But Steve, he said to me, um, like he he has like an engineer engineering friend who can. So like he said that you just go to like him and he could just easily make you like a bigger flatbed. So oh okay. Um, it's actually it's really it's, it's really versatile. So that's the one I got. Right, yeah, because I was looking at sewing machines, like the ones that Hermes use. They use like German ones, like Dirkop, Adler, like yeah. they're like ten thousand dollars, <laughs> and I'm like, that's expensive. Yeah, I know there are because with um machines you can just get like a different needle. So my needle, it makes it go from left to right. So like when you hand stitch, it goes from right to left. But my can you get a needle that's that's to match the uh hand stitched i think it's harder for the machine to go from right to left like you can actually get a needle that goes from right to, but it's not it's actually not as 
it's not as sharp as a hand stitched. Oh um, yeah, but it's actually like the left to right st- stitch. Like this is here's a, here's a Hermes one. So like mine sort of looks like that. Sure yeah, they see. do the. It's, it's you like can a, see it's like a reverse iron kind of. Yeah, but like it's actually it goes right to left on the rear side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the annoying thing with the machine is uh like sometimes it can leave marks on the leather from the presser foot. Oh okay. So I think you can loosen it. But um but underneath, I'm not too familiar. I don't yeah. I don't uh I have never used the machine to stitch before. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, Hermes. So how much does their watch straps go for? Around like four hundred dollars. Yeah. So like triple the price of what I sell it at. It still actually looks pretty nice, like even with a Yeah, no, it's it's very nice. Like it's very refined. Mm. Um the work it's very nice. But I, I just don't think it's worth the four hundred dollars considering like it's machine stitched. Yeah. But it's obviously because Hermes is a big brand so they can charge that. Oh yeah, you can see so like where the keeper goes. So as it approaches the keeper oh I'm not sure if it if it's gonna is it gonna focus? Yeah it's become it becomes hand stitched like yeah, they finish it off. Yeah there's hand stitched. You can give it a try on your machine next time. You just like leave the thread longer. Yeah. And you just maybe like get like a reverse pricking iron or something if you want to maintain the stitch. Mm. Yeah, I got I got reverse pricking irons. That's really smart. Yeah, wow. It's hard because you, you like that's the thing you wouldn't even know you wouldn't even notice that either. But you can tell if you zoom in on the image. You can tell. There's a, like a tension, like if you're getting really, really finicky, you can tell there's a tension difference between the hand stitched. Yeah, you can see the, that the, the top one in particular, it's a bit, bit bigger, and then once it gets to the end, it's a bit tighter. Yeah, that's just that's us. all those. That's also the same for their back stitching at the top. They do like triple back stitching. Yeah, and that's the same thing. So I asked you on edge paint tips because I've actually started edge painting. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> And uh, I've been using G G G R group G Giardini. Yeah, that one. Um, the one with the blue stripe. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, been using an all, but like I've noticed that it's been quite interesting because because uh, you'll get like you know you put your first coat on, you put your second coat on, and you get like the, that that ridge in the middle from like how it dries. Yeah. And then um, yeah, it's been actually quite annoying to be able to get that perfectly smooth edge like if you put alcohol on the edge it like helps it cleans it up a bit oh really yeah i think like some people use like to to hide that some people i know use like acetone just to like make it more matte but then the ridge is still there so from my like experience what i found is that the reason for that ridge is actually because of your gluing and that goes okay, yeah. goes back to saying like why well, I don't like synthetics. So you need to glue it very very well. Otherwise, if it's not glued well, the edge paint will just dip in the middle to create that ridge. Yeah. Um. So the way that I edge paint is that I first use a primer, which really adheres to the leather. Mm-hmm. The second one is a uh, a filler. So I use Unitas, which is a I think it's like a North American brand. So I do that. And then the filler actually prevents the ridge. So yeah. in, 
instead of being a like sinking in, the filler just sits on top of the edge. Yeah. Rather than like like normal edge paint will just like flow into the um the ridge. Yeah. So you sand that layer and it gets rid of the ridge. And then and if you edge paint on top of that, it becomes like very, very smooth. So you it's like completely flat. Yeah. Um but the most important part is definitely gluing well. So making sure you glue well. And then I think that's the foundation for a good edge. Yeah. Because, yeah, I do have a pri- primer, um, but I haven't really used it. Well, I've only used it probably a, a few times. Not not very often. But so you found that with the primer, you then you don't really need to apply a lot of coats with the edge paint? Uh, the primer is mainly, like, very, very thin just to make sure the paint, like, sticks on for a long time. Yeah, okay. Uh, especially with some, like, waxy levers like Hawaii and Chrome XL. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, it's like, edge paint just peels off from it. Yeah, okay. So then, yeah. So the I use the filler to get the smooth, smooth like surface. So what's a filler? It's literally just called like filler. It's a thick edge paint, but it doesn't really oh, okay. sink into the like. If you have gaps, it fills it up. Yeah, yeah. It makes it nice and round. Yeah. So that's the edge paint. Yeah, it's an edge. It's like a it's a clear edge coat, and then you just paint the colors on top. Oh really? Okay. So you, oh yeah. so primer isn't okay. Yeah. So like. The filler basically is a primer. So I think the way that they advertise it is that it's a... They advertise the filler as a primer, but the primer is basically for round edges. Mm-hmm. So, so Sorry, that's a bit confusing, but as in the filler makes the edges round. Yeah, regular... yeah, 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 sorry, yeah. Because, um, yeah, cause, yeah, the one that I have, it, it's uh, it's a filler... But I've just called it a primer because that's what I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, it makes the edges. So, so you put like a thick, you sort of put like a thick coat of primer. I mean, of Yeah, that's right. Up. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just do that. And then basically, usually it only takes three layers because it's already like very sanded, very smooth before I applied the color. Yeah. So it's only one layer of color. Or sometimes if like, I don't know, if I sand too much, the color comes off, then I apply another one. Yeah. So like the max I apply is four layers. Um, and like, I think to, to other people, they sound like, it sounds like four layers is a lot of work. Like they're like, oh no, <laughs> so much. But then like for me, cause I'm rotating through like five or six watch wraps at a time. I it literally just like one, the next, the next paint, the next. And then by the time I'm done with the last one, the first one's already dry. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of rotating through that. I know with, um, it's, it's kind of like I want to have like no exposed edges on like projects now <laughs> just to avoid edge yeah. paint. <laughs> like just have edge paint <laughs> handles and that's it. Just like... Yeah, a lot of people find edge painting hard, but I'm the opposite because I've actually never... I've burnished once in my life and I've never burnished again. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, because I think it takes a lot of sanding. Yeah, well, I don't, like... I don't even... I don't sand with my burnishing. I... um. As long as you get like it's the same thing. It's like as long as you get a, a clean edge with like trim allowance, you can you're yeah. pretty much good to go. Like, yeah, I don't I don't sand them mine. Just just because I, I I don't really mind the the matte finish edge anyway. So it's, it's not really yeah. With um, so how do you finish your edge paint? Do you just sand it and then leave it? I've got a heat. I use heat the filler machine. Too. Yeah, and I use the filler juice to like just to like polish it. Yeah, and then it becomes it turns from like a matte, complete matte, to a semi, semi, semi matte. So it's yeah. not, it's not shiny. 
or it's not like completely matte. Yeah. And then the way I finish it is I have some paraffin wax and I just like rub it quickly and I use a I use like a cloth and just like rub it against it and it creates like a it creates like a nice like subtle shine to yeah. it. But it's not like super super shiny. What is paraffin wax? Is that just like a synthetic? Wax? It's a white it's yeah, like so a clear it's... it's like a candle wax. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. With People a... use it to make candles, yeah. Yeah. So you you don't bevel your edges? No. Yeah, um no. I think that if you bevel the edges it doesn't create it creates like a it doesn't create it removes the hard edge with the yeah. leather. And then the edge paint would spill over to the front a lot easier, like more yeah. easily. With and um... sorry, go on. Yeah, so with like my round edges, I create the round through edge paint rather than like beveling the edge. Yeah. Which yeah, with, I like. With my bag handles, I've like, is they're beveled edges. So you, which is, uh, I, I should try, I should try it without a bevel just to see if it would make a difference. Because, um, yeah. If, like, if it would still be sharp on your hands if you're carrying it. So, yeah. I think it's fine for me because if your edge paint is more round, yeah. it kind of like, it kind of flows into the leather. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you bevel it, it kind of like removes the hard edge. And I I just don't, I haven't got like as clean results yeah. beveling. Yeah. Um, what's the most expensive watch strap? So what's what's the most expensive watch you've made a strap for? Oh, that's a good question. So my brother has a longer one, which is around like 50K. Wow. There's a customer that I know he's got like a very like very like niche watch it's very like it's bespoke it's it costs around like 200k for it yeah I just made a crocodile strap for both of them yeah so it's like very the strap itself is very basic it's very thin um, soft and just being able to like fit it on perfectly yeah with um like there's there's a lot of like more expensive watches out there um i think like with the watch world there's like secondary market prices and retail prices there's some pieces that are more desirable and you can't buy them retail anymore so the secondary price is maybe like five times more expensive than the retail price so like some some brands like FP Jean, for example, the watches the watch itself is only like twenty five thousand um, dollars. Only, but then I think the secondary market price is like one hundred twenty k. So is that for the strap? No, no, for the watch itself. Okay. <clears throat> so then, like in terms of like, what's the most expensive watch? Like FP Jean, I made a few straps for them, but they're they're like the secondary market like value is so high now so i would consider like it's it's kind of like yes it's not an expensive watch but then what it sells for is a lot yeah so they've bought it for like twenty five thousand, but it's just increased over time yeah because the supply of it is so limited it's like yeah. one guy making it yeah that's interesting wow um with with because with the filler that i used when i made my when i made my russian calf um what strap? I, sh- I should have. I think I have. It. I should have. Should have bought it to this to show you. Huh. Um, I used just like a buttero filler. That was just what I used and skived it down. I think yeah. it was like a one point five millimeter. 
butter or something or or two mil I can't remember but like that thickness is or should the thickness or should it be the exact same leather for the filler as in like the padding on the inside yeah is that what you mean yeah um I I tend to like finding softer leather because I think Patero is quite firm yeah so I like finding softer leather as the filler or the padding so it's easily easily more like flexible okay like if you're using if you're using like very light padding like using Patero is okay like one millimeter but I think like if you get over like two it just makes it a bit stiff yeah yeah so I think I really like using Pueblo. Oh, or yeah. Pueblo. I don't I don't know how to pronounce the word. Pueblo. It took me a while to Pueblo. figure it out. <laughs> yeah, so I like that because it, I think it's a bit softer. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to skive so you can shape it yeah. pretty, pretty easily. Yeah, Pueblo. Um, Pueblo, yeah. Pueblo. It's, yeah, I got some of that. in. Or well, even like a chrome tan works really well. Yeah. Does chrome tan skive? Is it... Uh, depends how knife how sharp your knife is, eh? Yeah. If you have a sharp knife, it works fine. Yeah. Um, what's your what's your favorite leather? Hmm. I, I like for a watch strap. I really like alligator. It's that it just feels very classy. Yeah. Uh. Uh. uh I also really like. There's an Italian calfskin called Swift. It's by. Um, the tannery called RMG Primari. So I think uh, RM Leather Supply sells it. It's just like the most supple leather I've ever like touched. It's yeah. like so, so soft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoy using that. Um, but yeah, Alligator, Shell Cordovan, I'm, I like it, but then I think it's it's not that much appreciated. Like in the watch community, people, they're not going to buy a strap because it's Shell Cordovan, whereas like it's more like Shell Cordovan is more like an EDC, or if you like boots or something, that's that's like more popular there. Yeah, that's I'm actually quite surprised because I thought it'd be quite. Yeah, like people who like watches, they they just want something that goes well with their watch. They're not like fussed about the leather. Yeah, like the only leather that they would be like that is maybe alligator or crocodile. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Because um, I've, I've seen because yeah, they want something high end. Yeah, because I've seen you do those watch straps with like the holes in them, which look pretty cool. Oh, the the rally straps. So they kind of, I think they're honestly pointless. The holes they don't do much besides like decoration. Yeah, they're yeah. For aesthetic purposes only. Yeah. Um, the the rigid like the the reason why they were done initially was like race car drivers, rally car drivers. Will get really hot inside the cars, and then so basically, they it was for ventilation, I guess, so you wouldn't be too sweaty. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's what that's the like origin story of why they have holes. Yeah, that's interesting. Does um do do Rolexes do they actually have leather bands? Like, can you actually take the, or they just they just stick with the uh. Chinks. Most Rolexes use bracelets because I think it's it's a sports watch. Their most popular watches are all like divers, like the Samariner, or the Explorer is like an adventure watch. So you're going out into the wild. Mm-hmm. Like you're not really you're exposed to the elements, so you're not really suited for a leather strap. 
but some of their like gold pieces or like dress pieces they're not as popular but they do suit leather quite well yeah um so yeah it's it just depends like most of the popular Rolexes it doesn't look that great on leather it's because yeah. they're really like super bulky watches yeah and then just leather's too like slim for it it's not as a uh, like hard like hard looking rugged yeah as they want Okay, yeah, because I didn't know Rolexes were more of an outdoor, like you could wear them because of the the chinks. Yeah, like Rolexes, it's quite hard to get nowadays. Yeah. So do you think you'll make any other leather goods besides watch straps? That's a good question because I think the main limitation right now is time. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've got an efficient process for watch straps, and I do have a quite a significant backlog of orders, which I try to keep down to just under two weeks. Yeah. But I think um, if I do get time, I will. But then I always get custom requests. Like someone asked me for a wallet or card holder to be made, and I'm like, yeah, I can do it. But then you just have to wait like a month if you're happy to wait that long, because mm-hmm. I I can't I can't like sit down and just do it all at once. Yeah. Right. Because um, I do like the straps in batches. I've also got like a few customers ask for valet trays or like just like watch pouches, which I can do, uh, but just takes too much time. Yeah. And also design them as well. Yeah. Well, not so much design because they're just like, oh yeah, can you make me one of this? They send me a photo. I'm like, it's not hard to make, but it's just, it takes, it's not efficient for me to make it. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't have the processes. I have to hand cut them or, and all that. Yeah. Um, do you, okay. So, what's the most difficult, I think we probably touched on it, but what's the most difficult leather to yeah. work with? Stingray? <laughs> Outside of Stingray, Stingray obviously, because it's so firm, it, it's, it's literally like a stone. I think... I actually think shell cordovan is actually hard to work with, especially like hauling shell cordovan. Yeah. Why, why is and that? Like, of... Mainly hauling shell cordovan because it's so, it's, I don't think it's that like, it's kind of vulnerable to scratches. It's very easy to scratch. Yeah. Um, Like all the marks show very clearly. Whereas like shinky shell cordovan is a bit easier to work with because the marks don't show it's like hard glazed as the final finish so so it's like not too um it's not like raw in that sense if that makes yeah. sense um also like skiving chill cordon i find that to be a bit harder because it's very very dense mm-hmm. and then it's all it, when you skive halfway through it kind of just tears off yeah i've had it's quite amazing how how uh, when you skive some leathers, how easily they tear, and like with kangaroo, yeah. you can skive it, you can skive it real thin, and it's still quite tough. Kangaroo leather is very, very strong. It's like very durable. Yeah, yeah, um, it is. Even at very thin weight, so it makes it's actually really, really good for watch straps. But then I think people just don't appreciate it. So I think like some customers have messaged me saying like, "Oh, why are you using kangaroo leathers? Why are you? It's not sustainable and all that." Kangaroo leather is just a byproduct of the meat because they don't know that we have like kangaroo meat in the markets in the yeah. in the shops. Like Woolies sells like kangaroo burger patties and all that. Yeah. So, the, so I guess like they're considered a pest in some areas as well because there's so many of them. I got some kangaroo at home. I got a. I actually bought some natural, and it's actually really good quality. Like, 
um, I was gonna make make a wallet with it with the because uh, I I'm going in like the Adelaide show this year, so oh, I was, nice. I was, so I was gonna use some of that Russian calf for the, I, was, I was just gonna make a basic bifold, use like the Russian calf for the outside, line it with like a natural kangaroo, and then do the, the both of the front pockets a Russian calf with like a blue stitching. Just to, oh nice. Yeah, see what it's like. How, how do you care? How do you care for your watch strap? So, usually when customers do ask, um, maintenance on watch straps is pretty minimal because yeah. you don't really um, like bend it that often. It stays in its shape, like the mold, it molds to your wrist. So, usually, I tell them to apply conditioner once every six months to the front, just to prevent any like cracking in the long term. And then every maybe two months or so, I just tell them to use a damp cloth and just to wipe the back in case there's any like sweat stains mm-hmm. that you need, like you have. Uh, just cleans it up. And yeah, usually the straps don't need much maintaining. They last maybe like three years or so. Yeah. Not too bad. So, actually. yeah. So is that with everyday use? Yeah, I assume like yeah. everyday use. I've worn the same strap maybe just over two years now and still looks the only uh, like thing that changes that the leather has darkened a bit. Yeah. And then if you just condition the leather, the condition, the leather itself won't crack at all. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I haven't had an issue with like leather cracking at all. Yeah. Well, what should, like how, how will a watch strap wear down over time? Like, will it's the, will the stitching go first or? I think the the line the gluing of the lining on the back of the strap might start to loosen up where it connects at the top just because that glue it lasts like a few years and then like it starts to maybe come off but then the stitching holds it in place yeah the the other one is maybe the i think it's actually the part where the buckle goes into the long side of the strap the holes because you're always putting in and out in and out sometimes it does like damage the strap there it does stretch it a bit mm-hmm. um and also maybe the edge painting like if you're constantly like scraping the buckle against the edge paint that specific area of the watch it's like it might um the edge paint might like eventually come off yeah but i've i've had a strap for over like three years and haven't had any issues well, I'll ask you that actually. So, with the because yeah, the the, the buckle will be constantly sliding sliding through that strap. Do you have to uh, make allowance for the edge paint? Um, yeah. So it's actually one millimeter smaller on the long side where it slides through. Okay. Compared to the short side, so like sixteen millimeters at the buckle, the long side will only be fifteen millimeters wide, and then you can add edge paint to that, and it'll be like fifteen point five. So you have some like leeway, I guess. Yeah. Do Do you use dies to cut your watch straps, or do you just do them all by hand? They're all done by dies now because I've got yeah. a lot of orders, and it's it's a lot easier to get the shape to be accurate. Whereas if you're hand cutting all the time, you're not going to get a hundred percent to be yeah, the same. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's just for it's just better. Like in, the product itself becomes better. Uh, it's also more efficient, so I think yeah. it's like it's a no-brainer. Yeah, uh, I, I need to get some dyes <laughs> eventually. Yeah, it, it makes production a lot far yeah, exactly. faster, especially if you want to like 
from a business perspective, like you need to find ways to make it more efficient. So if you're doing like a wallet, for example, if you have all the panels cut out for you, just get the dies. It costs maybe like two hundred dollars, yeah. but you can you can make it like you save an hour cutting it by hand. Yeah, it's actually amazing how much time you like you use cutting things by hand. Like you can spend like an hour cutting like a full wallet out, you know, and, that, and that's just even before you start it. Um, I want to even cutting out like a be like to get like huge dies for bags would be cool because it's just like yeah. that would just um you need a huge clicker press yeah I know. Or like <laughs> you need one of those like industrial ones where you yeah. it's like hydraulic and you have to press it down yeah um yeah maybe and one day what's the ones that you can pull over and pull down yeah there's like uh i can't remember it starts with l like yeah lu lu it's like lucrative yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't remember it. And uh, so, what's your hobbies outside leather work, craft, leather craft? Um, I I spend a lot of time like making leather goods. So when I'm not doing watch straps, I do try to make like other stuff, yeah. just like wallets here and there. But I really enjoy like playing basketball, playing chess. Um, oh, playing chess, yeah. I try to go hiking every so often. Like every maybe like two three weeks. Yeah. But the weather has been like quite poor in Sydney, but I do enjoy like going out, trying to force myself to go out because literally, I work from my home and then it's literally like sitting down all day. My eyesight's gotten worse and trying to like do things that. Yeah, I know. Because like, you're like outside you, you, of the workshop. Exactly. Like because you, your eyes are like looking like so close. It's like yeah to, to be able to like look a distance is is nice to see. Yeah, so just going out, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's... No, that's awesome. Thanks, thanks, Jason, for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was really good talking to you about uh, a lot of things. Yeah, definitely.